You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Some of you who are connoisseurs of sports remember when ESPN came online. And in, in 1989, they put this guy on the air. This is Dan Patrick. And he was teamed with a guy by the name of Ken Oberman. And they were a tandem that uh, lasted for quite a while. And they brought me my sports for more than a decade. And uh, Dan Patrick had a signature line. Some of you, anybody know what his signature line was? It's the eighth most common phrase uh, signature line that there is in all, of, in all of broadcasting. Number eight, it is, dare I say, in fuego. And you have to say it that way. Dare I say, in fuego. Say it with me. Dare I say, in fuego. Now some of you are going, what is in fuego? Well, let me enlighten you, okay? That is Spanish for on fire. Didn't know I was going to be bilingual today, did you? Well, you're going to even be impressed later in the message because I'm going to throw in a little French, okay? So just hang with me, those of you that speak French. But Dan Patrick would do this during a sportscast, and it would always be assigned to a player who had just one of those off-the-chain kind of uh, performances. You know, uh, a baseball player hits uh, three home runs in a single game, right? Incidentally, the Cubs are going to the World Series. If you're not, hey, seriously, if you're, okay, three Cubs fans, great. Uh, This is Cincinnati country, people. All right, but if you're not ready to meet Jesus, the Cubs are going to the World Series, so you should probably get ready, right? If they win, sign of the apocalypse, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure. But Dan Patrick would say three home runs, and then he'd say, dare I say, in fuego. And there was, or there'd be, a, there'd be a, a basketball player, probably a Kentucky Wildcat, that just, that just drains three-point shot after three-point shot after three-point shot, and at some point, Dan Patrick would say, dare I say, in fuego. Thank you. Thank you for the four of you that are participating. Appreciate it. Well, if Dan Patrick had been there in, in the beginning of the church, and we're looking at Acts, the second chapter, if he'd have been there, he would have definitely dropped his signature line because the disciples, the apostles, were, they were performing way beyond their skill ability. It would, not have been, it would not have been out of, the, out of line had Dan Patrick been covering that as an event that he would have used that signature line, dare I say, in fuego. Jesus had made the comment to his disciples that he was going to leave them. He was going back to heaven to be with his father. But that was a good thing because another counselor was going to come to be with them. Someone that he referred to as an advocate to them. And he won't, he won't just walk beside them. He would actually be in them. The Holy Spirit in you gives you power to live godly lives. Now some of you have struggled with the same sin in your life for a long time. In fact, some of you have had problems that you felt like when I became a Christian that that would go away. And it seemed like it almost got more difficult. You've been trying to do the Christian life, but you haven't had success because you've been doing it in your own strength. You've been trying to do it by your own power. But the message of the Holy Spirit is a simple one. He says, plug into me. I'm in you. Just tap into this power. Let me ignite in you 
the power to elevate your performance, your game, if you will. Read the book of Acts and you will find that God has something more for us. I think that there are a lot of Christians who say, I'm going to get better at that. I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to give it my very best. And God is saying, wait a minute. You are missing the whole point. I am in you. Let me live through you. Let me give you victory over that. Let me work through you to make a difference in this world. In Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 19 and 20, we read this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realms, excuse me. What Paul is saying here is that the power that raised Christ from the dead, where is that power? It's in you if you're a follower of Christ. If you are a believer who surrendered your heart to God, knowing, acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. If you surrendered your heart to Him, that power is in you. That same power that moved the, t- the stone from the front of the tomb is available in your life. And it gives you power to do a lot of things. For instance, it gives you power to make the right decisions. It gives you power to forgive when you don't feel like forgiving someone. It gives you power to say no to temptation, even though your flesh says yes. It gives you power to say the right thing at the right time, to love unconditionally, to walk with courage in the face of fear, to handle bad news with faith. It gives you power to love how you look, even when everyone else says things that are so hurtful to you. It gives you power to live holy, God-honoring lives. It's the same power that rolled the stone away from the front of the tomb. It's in you as a Christian. And as we deepen our relationship with him, the more and more we will see his power at work. When we study the book of Acts, you will see the lives of people that the Holy Spirit is working through. And here's the one thing about these people. They're different in a good way. They're really different. When you begin to live with the Holy Spirit in you, you begin to experience better character. And you're you're going to be more loving and more kind and more forgiving. The Holy Spirit brings such a change in you that others are going to wonder, what's gotten into him? What is going on in her? And the answer is simple. It's God. He's at work in her. He's at work in him. When the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer... He provides that power. So as we study this book, the book of Acts, we will see the change that the Holy Spirit made in the lives of people. The question is this. Why aren't we experiencing more of what we read there today? There has to be more, right? There has to be more. Well, let me me just do a refresh uh, that brought us to where we are in Acts chapter 2 as we start that. Just to remember, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said something to his disciples. He gave them this directive. We read about it in verse 4 of chapter 1. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I know you want to go out and tell the whole world that I have risen from the dead, but not yet. There's going to be a time for that, but not yet. First, he says, I want you to wait here because in a few days, you are going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Why wait for that? Well, because Jesus says to, but there's another reason. We read about it in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because you're going to receive some serious power when he comes on you. Don't go out and try to witness in your own strength or your own power. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. Imagine being part of that group, sitting around, waiting for what Jesus had said would happen. I mean, you'd heard that you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you're not even really sure what that means. And he said it's going to be actually better than when we lived with Jesus right next to us. It'll be better because God is going to be in us. What's that going to be like? You can imagine the conversations going on in those, those hours while they waited, and then it happens. Now, we're up to speed now. This all happens, and we see now in Acts, the second chapter, if you're following along, verse 1 and following, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, now that was a Jewish feast. There were a lot of Jews in Jerusalem that, on that day to celebrate the, the feast of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Put yourself in that room when all of that happens. Jesus tells you to wait there, so you're there, you're praying, and you're wondering, what, should, what are we going to, I mean, what to expect when all of this happens? And then it says, suddenly, they had no, no warning, that no expectation, no idea that this is going to happen. All of a sudden, they hear this intense noise that sounded like a tornado running through the room. There's no evidence that there was anything disturbed. It just sounded like a tornado. And then they see this They call it tongues of fire that descended onto the heads of the disciples. And then everyone starts speaking languages that they didn't know or they hadn't learned. The Holy Spirit gives these humble believers new hope and new power and new life. They were able to do things they had never done before because the Holy Spirit had come from heaven and had entered into their lives. And when the Holy Spirit does that, When he is present in the heart of a believer, there is vitality and energy, and there is freshness and joy and power and courage. There is peace and compassion and grace that flows freely from that person. He's able to ignite you with a passion that you never thought was possible, and he's able to equip you to do things that you never dreamed you'd be able to do. Honestly, if you'd known me when I was in uh, when I was a young, young person, uh, elementary age, you would never believe that I would be here for a number of reasons. But probably the biggest reason, yeah, don't talk to my mom, okay? Uh, for a number, or the principal at East Elementary. Oh my, yeah, don't, anyway, the main reason why you wouldn't believe it was to stand up here was absolutely paralyzing for me. Just, 
I know the number one fear that people have is public speaking, but I took it to a whole nother level. It was like that kind of fear on steroids. It all came out. I mean, in the fourth grade, Miss Peterson, Mrs. Peterson's class, I, I liked Mrs. Peterson, but I didn't like her because she tortured me. She had us do these public speaking things, and the worst one was the first one. She asked us to read a biography about someone who we admired and then write a book report about them. And then she wanted us to dress up like that individual and then deliver the book review from memory to the class. Some of you are already, your skin is starting to crawl. Well, here I was. I read the book on Abraham Lincoln. I wrote the thing. I memorized it. And then I got up in front of the class dressed like Abraham Lincoln. And I couldn't even speak. I just stood there for a while. And then I started choking out the words of this memorized book review that I had given, that I had written. And tears started running down my face. It was, I was absolutely paralyzed by the fear. And half of the class felt sorry for me, and I think the other half made fun of me. The very fact that I am standing here is evidence that God is able to equip you to do things that you never dreamed you'd ever be able to do. Now, um, do I get nervous today? You know, occasionally I do, but not like I did then. It's so much different. And I think that that is due to the fact that God is faithful. Here's the key point of this message. The Holy Spirit empowers Christ's followers. The Holy Spirit empowers Christ's followers. As we read in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is igniting this little ragtag band of discouraged and deflated believers with a passion for lost people. He infused in them this, this supernatural ability at that moment to speak the languages of those people who were gathered for this Jewish feast there in Jerusalem. Now there's a point of clarification here. There's a lot of discussion about these quote-unquote tongues that they were speaking here. And the truth is this. They were not some super spiritual language for the truly spirit-filled believers. They weren't some heavenly prayer language, or they were not just the language that angels speak. The disciples in this crucial moment, remember, they were kicking the doors open with the gospel to people for the very first time. And in that moment, they were able to communicate in specific, identifiably known languages and dialects of the people who were there in Jerusalem who needed to hear a message of hope and grace. And the Bible points out that these people came from everywhere. Look what verses 5 through 8 say. Now there, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? People from all over the world were hearing the gospel from these Jesus followers in their own language, in their own tongue. Now how did they know then that these were Galileans? Well, there's a couple of ways they may have known this. First, they may have seen them before, kind of gathered together, and somebody said, those, are guys, those guys are from Galilee. That may have happened. 
or there may have been something distinctive about their wardrobe. Maybe they had, a, maybe they had something that said, hey, those guys, they're from Galilee. But probably the thing that makes the most sense is they probably recognized them from their accent. Now, those of us from Kentucky, right, we get that, right? I go back to Iowa and my, uh, my brother says, what's this you all stuff? You know, I'm going, you all have ruined my accent, right? Living here long enough, I've adapted a bunch of that. But we get it, right? If, if, if I go somewhere and I say, I say something in a language other than my own, people recognize the language. For instance, if I go to France and I say, bonjour, mon ami, there's the French, I told you, right? <laughs> bonjour, mon ami. They know I'm not from France. Even though I had three years of French one, they know, they know I'm not from France. How do they know? Because of the accent. The accent. The people at Pentecost were hearing their languages spoken by the disciples. But this was strange because they could tell these guys weren't from where they were from. They were Galileans. Here's what I want to talk about in the, the remaining part of this message. The Holy Spirit equips believers. He gives us a number of things. We could see them as tools. We'll call them today empowerments. And I want us to look at two specific, I think they're key empowerments, that the Spirit of God gives to every believer. And we don't always tap into these. All right? A lot of times we're convinced that's not happening to me. But the presence of God is in you. These empowerments are available to you. All right? What he says, the very first empowerment we want to look at before we look at the passage is the Holy Spirit empowers Christians to share the gospel effectively. He's going to equip you so that you can share the gospel. He's going to empower you. You go, oh, not me. Oh, yeah, the Spirit of God is in you. You have that empowerment. Look what we read in Acts, the second chapter, verse 8 and following. He says, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parth, Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the, part, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the, the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Amazed and perplexed. You know, when the Word of God goes out, empowered by the Spirit of God, people are amazed and perplexed, always. That's because the Spirit of God is at work, and that is a supernatural event. When the Spirit of God works, that's supernatural. That's not something you and I can mimic. I mean, we can look at something the Spirit does, and we can say, oh, I could do that, but you can't, because you're not supernatural. You're just natural. You're not supernatural. The Holy Spirit showed up here, and there is this incredible display of power that caused the people who saw it to be amazed and perplexed. But there's always somebody in the crowd who tries to explain it, all right? And this is what happens in verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. You know those Galileans? That's what they're saying, right? Some people try to explain away the work of God. How awesome would it be if Northeast Christian Church were a place that was criticized or oftentimes made fun of because of what God was doing here? 
What if people found out about how marriages were put back together around here? And they poke fun at that. Or they found people who were set free from sin that had plagued them forever. Maybe addictions that they had been a slave to forever. Or what if they found out about the money that we give away to things like thirst relief? And they, you know, giving money to people we don't even know to help them in a time where we're going to make a big difference in their lives. We're never going to know them. But we're going to help them anyway. There are people who will look at us and they would say, you people are crazy. You people must be drinking over there. There's no explanation for your behavior other than you're a little bit crazy. And yet our response will just simply be, but that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. We're just letting him work through us, right? I love that about this place. I really do. Remember when the Holy Spirit is working, there will always be people who are amazed and perplexed, and there will always be a handful, handful who will be critical. Well, what happens next is pretty amazing. We're not going to read the entire uh, text of this, but Peter preaches the very first gospel sermon, and it's powerful. There's a powerful sermon about how God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come into the world to save us from our sins. And he concludes that message with verses 36 and 37. Listen to this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now look what happens with the people. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and, they, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? It was so powerful a message. The people's hearts were ruptured in an emotional way, in a, in a deeply spiritual way. Jesus had told his disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And when he did, to expect this to happen. Look what we read in John 16, verse 8. He says, and he, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. People would realize that their sin was something wrong in them. They had to do something about it. They would feel guilty about it. Here's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts. They are convicted by their sin. It's very simple. How many of you have ever listened to a sermon, and while you were listening to it, you felt like, this guy's been reading my mail? I mean, this thing was written for me. I mean, he could just quit talking to everybody else and just fill my name in. How many of you ever felt that way? You've ever been, heard a sermon? Yeah, some of you have shared that with me. I promise you, I didn't write it just for you, okay? Unless you're one of my kids, and occasionally I think about them, okay? The truth is, not, that's not true either. There's a good chance that if that happened to you, the Holy Spirit was, he was working. He was convicting you. He's moving and it made you realize that you needed to make a change about this, most oftentimes, the sin in your life. The people said, brothers, what should we do? So Peter answers them. It says that Peter replied, Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter said that since you believe this to be true about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, then repent and turn from your life of sin and then bury your past in the watery grave of baptism, embracing forgiveness for your sins. And what you see in us, the Holy Spirit at work here, you can have it also. This promise, he said, is for you, but it's also for your kids and for your grandkids, and it's for people who are even far away from here. It's even for people who are nearby here, but they're far away spiritually. They're a long ways away. If you will humbly open your hearts and accept God's grace, then God will move, and he'll touch your hearts also. You see, the real miracle at Pentecost wasn't the spectacular fire or the sound of that mighty wind, and it wasn't even the ability of the apostles to speak in languages that they'd never studied. It wasn't even the response to Peter's message, which was phenomenal. The miracle of Pentecost was God was no longer out there somewhere. He was right here. The Holy Spirit wasn't going to make just some occasional visits like he did in the Old Testament, you know, just showing up every once in a while. This was a new day, and God was giving the Holy Spirit into the lives of believers who had surrendered to Jesus Christ. He was taking up residence in their hearts for the very first time. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us in the same way to be witnesses, just like he did in the early church. You know, some churches have gotten very good at manufacturing spiritual experience. But what we see in the book of Acts is there is this incredible power available to change people's lives, but it only happens when the Holy Spirit moves in and starts to work. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that has faith focused on Jesus and living by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to advance his kingdom. Some of you don't believe that. At least you don't live like you believe it. But it's true, and it's in you. You have the message, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can impact someone's life for all eternity. That's a powerful, powerful thing when you think about it. But it's not the only power. There's another power. There's a number of different empowerments that the Spirit gives. But the second one that I want us to look at this morning is the power to overcome the world. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 4, 4. He says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, them was probably the false teachers or the Gnostics. They were teaching false doctrine, and they had created all kinds of problems for the Gentile churches. And he's saying, you've overcome them because of the one who is in you. John's writing to a number of, of Gentile churches in this letter. And he explains another facet of how the Holy Spirit ignites and empowers the believer. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to overcome our spiritual enemy. To overcome our spiritual enemy. The Holy Spirit equips us in our struggle against the devil and false teachings. John points out that the Holy Spirit is the key to overcoming. Now hear me. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Thus, they are powerless to fight against evil and false teaching. They can try and try, and they may have a margin of success, but they will never have long-term victory or freedom from the things that incarcerate them. 
Only with the power of the Holy Spirit can you find that freedom. I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you ever struggled with the same sin in your life over and over again? Maybe for some of you it's been for years, years. And when I say that, boom, in your, in your mind that sin appears. Have you ever felt discouraged by that, that you just can't seem, to, can't seem to overcome that? You ever felt defeated by it, even for long periods of time, maybe to the point of maybe even being depressed about it? Have you ever felt that you'll never be able to overcome that sin? You just kind of almost surrendered to it. Have you ever felt that way? Or maybe for you it's different. Maybe you have these thoughts that come into your mind and they're just, they're like from out of nowhere. Sometimes they're, they're very destructive to your self-worth. They say things like, you're ugly. The thought in your head, it says like it's saying it to you. You're ugly or you're fat or you're stupid. Or maybe it's resurrecting some sin from the past. Maybe it was a week ago or a year ago or maybe it was 30 years ago. And it brings it up as though you're still guilty of that sin. That this is who you are, whether it's destructive words or, or it's accusations about sin. And, and those thoughts are in your head. You ever have those thoughts? Or maybe the thoughts are tempting you toward a specific sin. They just, they just, they just come. Do you, do you find yourself entertaining those thoughts? thinking, well, if it's in my head, it must be true, right? Do you ever feel like you're believing them? I mean, you hear it enough that after a while you think it must be true, right? Do you find yourself giving in eventually to the temptation? Listen to maybe the most powerful passage you'll hear today. At least for me, it was very, very important. It's Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. You say that with me. Just read it with me. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Do you know that Satan knows that to to be true? That what you think eventually is who you become. And so he tries to bring thoughts across our minds with the attempt to derail your spiritual life. He does not want you tapping into the power of the Spirit of God. And he uses some very distinct tools to try to, to try to influence our thinking. Very quickly, I want to give these to you very quickly. The first one is he lies to us. He lies to us. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. The truth about Jesus will set you free. If that is true, then it would make sense that lies will keep us incarcerated, keep, keeps us locked up. Ask this simple question. If you, if you think this may be a lie from Satan, ask this simple question. Is this true from God's perspective? Is this true from God's perspective? The second tool that he uses is he tempts us. I think most of us probably recognize when we're tempted. This came from the devil or one of his minions, right? The truth of the matter is is he wants us to focus on sin. Even if you don't give in to sin, at least you're thinking about giving in to it, right? He wants you to focus on it. So can the devil... Can, can the devil derail us spiritually by just getting us to focus on temptations? Yeah, he can, he can take me away from thinking about sharing Christ with someone because I'm over here considering whether or not I'm going to take on this, this temptation. Ask yourself the question. Would, the de- would, would God be honored if I did this? 
And for some of you going, well, I don't know God that well. Well, then uh, let me, I'm not going to put your grandmother on this level, but ask yourself, would your grandmother be pleased if you did this? Or your mother? Or your spouse? Or your kids? Would people who you care about be honored and would they regard this as something good if you did that? The last tool that Satan uses is he accuses. And what he does in that, he accuses you of things that are not necessarily true about you. Sometimes they are true, and he accuses you of them. But most of the time, he uses things that are not true. He says things about you that are lies, and he uses those to accuse you, to say, that's who you are. Or he dredges up sin from the past, and he says, you're still guilty of that. That's who you are. Even though you're forgiven, you know that deep down you're still that way. Here's the question you want to ask yourself. Is this something God would say to me? Is this something God would say? And if it's not, in any one of these these tools that he uses, reject it. Now, I know that sounds flippant. I don't mean it that way. But I'm just saying, you have the authority and you have the power of God in you to recognize. You You don't have to entertain that at all. John was telling the Gentile Christians that they were overcomers because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You should underline that in your Bible. That's a promise you can live by. The Holy Spirit is the game changer when it comes to overcoming. Never forget that. You'll never be able to do it on your own. You need Him. At Pentecost, we see that the Holy Spirit gave power to the believers to advance the gospel so others could know that God loves them and they could be part of the family of God. Now we see that the Holy Spirit, John tells us, empowers us to overcome the attacks and the, and the, uh, the, the, the attempts by the, by the evil one, by our enemy. When the Holy Spirit is at work in a church, it will become an agent of change in its community. We can overcome the enemy's attacks and we can change the world, but it won't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. So just like those Acts 2 disciples, we can be history makers also. Because of the gospel, because of the authority that we have through the Holy Spirit to overcome the enemy's attacks, he can't derail us from sharing the gospel anymore. And that'll change somebody's eternal destiny. Let me close with this one thought. I want you to think about somebody in your life who is really important to you, but their relationship with God is kind of on shaky ground. All right? I want you to think about somebody who, you know, if life ended right now, you're not 100% sure they'd go to heaven. If I, if I were to ask you, who's that person you're thinking about? Are they a Christian? You would kind of have to hesitate because you're not really sure. Or maybe you know categorically they're not. They don't walk with God at all. But they mean something to you. They're important to you. Maybe, maybe they're a friend or a family member. that You love them. You care about them. Here's what I think probably is true about you. If that person doesn't live nearby where you can invest in them personally, but they live far away, when you think about that person, I bet you hope, I bet you pray that someone in his or her world will reach out to them 
and share Jesus with them. They'll pray for them. They'll care for them. I bet you hope that there's a church that's near your loved one that's not content to just take care of the people who are already saved and headed to heaven, but they're willing to go outside of their walls and be creative and show compassion and be generous and take some risks that they might impact your loved one. And why does that matter? Because I got a feeling there's probably somebody in Tennessee or Indiana or North Carolina or California, maybe even London or Rome, who's praying for a church in Hamburg that would reach out to their loved one. That would, they're praying for you and me to be that kind of church that would reach somebody who means so much to them but who is so far from God. Do you think we could be that church? I do. That's what God does. He empowers us. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Can we be a church like that that overcomes the enemy so that we might advance the kingdom of God here in Hamburg? I believe so. By his power and his power alone. That's what the Holy Spirit did when he ignited that first church in the book of Acts. Let's pray that he'll do that here. Not just in us collectively. Let's pray that he does it in us individually. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask with our hearts open that you would stir in us and help us to see the fight that we're against, against the enemy, and know that we have power to be overcomers because of your spirit in us. And some, that is the best news they've ever heard because they have been struggling with the same sin, the same problems for a long, long time. Lord, I pray that you would, fi- you would help them to find freedom through the power of your spirit even this very day. And God, I pray also that we would be ambassadors of your truth, that we would be people who by the power of your spirit will carry the gospel to the very ends of the earth. God, especially here in Hamburg, that we would meet up with those people who are being prayed for by others around the world, around this country, hoping that somebody would would have an impact on their loved one. Help us to be those people. Lord, let us know who those people are as they cross our path. And let us be faithful with great courage in you, faithful and confident in you, that we can make a difference in that person's life. Lord, I pray especially for the person who's here today that's never taken that step. They kind of have a little bit of insight into who we are and what we're about. And we want them to know that you love them unconditionally, so much so that Jesus came to die for them so that their sins might be forgiven. The Almighty God loves them. Lord, I pray that they would take a step today, put their hand in yours, accept you, be washed in the blood of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts 2.41, we read what happened at the end of that sermon. I told you the response was phenomenal. This is what Luke writes. He said, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a very good sermon. That's a very good sermon. 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. That's good. The thing about it is that it doesn't matter if it's 3,000 or one. If you've never taken that step, 
I hope you'll do it today. We're going to stand together and worship God. If you have a decision on your heart, we're going to be down front. We'd love to meet with you and talk to you about it. Let's worship Him together.